So hello and welcome to the Jenny Talks podcast. It's great to have you with us. Today, my guest is called Lynn McCann and she is from Reach Out ASC. She introduced herself at the beginning of the conversation. So I shall just say a little bit um, just now. Uh, Lynn is one of several contributors to my book um, called From Isolation to Community that will be out next Monday. And I'll tell you a little bit more about that at the end of the podcast. The work that Lynn does in building bridges between autistic young people and children, those around them, including um, those educating them, is really critical. Um, I've heard from at least one friend that she really wishes Lynn's work had been around while she was teaching SEN children. Um, And I I hope that you'll find it really powerful. In her work, um, Lynn really recognises how little training there is um, for teachers who are teaching SEND children. Um, whilst always making sure the child is at the centre of what they do and also include parents. So if you're a teacher, if you're a parent of SEND children, particularly autistic um, children or teenagers, then this podcast conversation hopefully will be useful for um, I hope you enjoy the conversation coming up just now. So, hello and welcome to the Jenny Talks podcast. It's really great to have you listening um, to us today. My guest today is Lynn McCann, who is from a company, organisation called Reach Out ASC. So, Lynn, it's really lovely to have you here with us. Could you just introduce yourself to the listeners and tell us a little bit about uh, Reach Out ASC as well? Thank you. Yes. So, I'm Lynn. Um, I've been married for 29 years to Steve. We've got two children in their 20s, um, one of each flavour, as we say, a boy and a girl, um, and they've left home now. But I've actually been a primary teacher for um, about 30 years. I worked as a mainstream primary teacher. Then I went to work in a special school for autistic children. And while I was there, I set up an outreach service. Um, and we had a change of head teacher and it was kind of being sort of uh, pulled back from, shall we say. Um, mm-hmm. So I decided, I'd realised there was such a need for this specialist support within a mainstream setting that mm-hmm. I, I took a big risk and um, went out on my own. So I set up as an independent autism specialist teacher um, and they didn't replace me at my old school. So I had some of my schools who said, we'll stay with you. So I had mm-hmm. a beginning of a little business there. Mm-hmm. Um, now we've been going for just seven years. We had our business birthday this month. Mm-hmm. Uh, we are a team of eight. We have two autistic people in our team. We've got one person who uh, has ADHD. We've got two parents of autistic children. So we feel like we've got a lot of a lived experience between mm-hmm. us as well as teaching experience. Mm-hmm. Um, so Reach Out ASC goes into schools and we provide specialist teachers support. We build programmes around individual pupils. And the real importance of what we do is getting to know that individual mm-hmm. so that we can make the support that's right for them. Mm-hmm. Um, and we also do quite a lot of training covering schools, parents groups, charities, churches, that's all been online since mm. March. Uh, it's been really interesting what we've learned from that. Mm. And um, I've written a couple of books for teachers as well and produce a, po- a board game um, oh. through the work that we've done. So, yeah, it's been a busy seven years, but um, that's what Reach Out ASC is today. Mm-hmm. That's fantastic. Um, now, we've uh, we've talked before, haven't we, Lynn? And um, I, I remain sort of fascinated by 
the work that you're doing with Reach Out ASC. I think it's it's a really important um, kind of service that you offer for our autistic young people and uh, and schools as well. Um, can you share with us just some of the ways in which you build those bridges between um, kind of autistic children, and young people and them and the world around them, I guess, but also their teachers and their support staff and that kind of thing? Yeah, it's interesting, really. The the climate has changed in education over the last mm. 10 years that I've been doing this, really. And um, in 2013, we got a new SEND code of practice, mm. um, which is enshrined in law, the sort of systems that the children go through to get any additional needs met. It's mm. very complicated. It's not being resourced properly. It's really um, not turned out how it was hoped. So a lot mm. of it is unpicking that. Mm. Um However, our first focus is the child themselves. So as we go into school, we really try to get to know the child, observe them, talk to them, work out what they really like. And we find we learned so much about them by engaging in what they like, mm, what they're interested yeah, in. Sure. Mm. And that is a joy for me because I, I learn all sorts of things. Mm. And our autistic children can be real experts in certain things that they enjoy, for example. Mm. So that's a good way in. But we also are real heart for teachers that they don't have much SEND training mm-hmm. and very few of them have really understood or know about this SEND code of practice and what it really means for them in the classroom. Mm-hmm. And it brought in this idea of every teacher is a teacher of SEND. But then there wasn't the resources backing that up in the training, mm-hmm. you know. Mm-hmm. So we try to just come alongside and be a friend to the teacher, understanding their um, workload and all the things they have to do and then mm. try and work with them to understand that child that child's perspective so mm. for example sensory issues are a big thing around autistic children sure. and it might be something within the classroom environment that is really causing that child distress and pain mm. which mm. then might be impacted in, on their behavior so the mm. teacher sees the behavior they don't see the reason why that's happening so mm-hmm. we work through that with them and we change what we can and we put support in place and through that we try to build up the relationship between the teacher and the child but also in that we bring in the parents wherever we can as well mm. and because a child is you know their child <laughs> and mm. they know a lot about their child so the ideal is that we all work together yeah and that is the ideal around the same code of practice really mm-hmm. um, they call it co-production um interestingly it works really really well sometimes other times it doesn't and there's lots of reasons for that mm-hmm. sure i guess it's a it can be quite a complex uh, relationship dynamic can't it between child and school and child and parents and then all three of those together is not necessarily um incredibly straightforward um you talked about before you've talked to me about um kind of hope and helping autistic children and young people really kind of grasp onto hope and i've i've kind of come back to that again and again in in different ways that i've uh, different things that i've written and thought about since since that conversation that we initially had are you able to just sort of expand a little bit on 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 that Yes, well, we think about autism as a label and the Mm. diagnostic criteria is so negative Mm. and it calls it a deficit and a disorder. 
And actually, if you kind of just step back from that and realise you've got a person here whose brain works in a different way from what we see is typical, although mm. there is no such thing as normal. Mm. <laughs> and mm. this whole idea now about what we call neurodiversity, that human beings, we all have different brains anyway. Mm. Um, but for an autistic child, they've grown up with um, a label that they've often seen lots of negatives about. And also people's expectations of them end up being lower because, oh, well, they've got a disorder, so they can't mm. achieve this, that, and the mm. other. Mm. And that affects their mental health a lot. So some of the teenagers that I work with have got all these issues around being a teenager anyway and fitting in and, mm. um, you know, sort of finding their identity. So it's really important to us that the hope that we can weave into their lives is about the understanding of themselves and that that is okay. It mm. is the way you function, the way you perceive things. Let's help you through that. Let's help mm. people understand you. Mm. But also the value of who they are and mm. their potential. Now, it may mean that they have to go a different route mm. and it may take longer or they might have, a, you know, for example, one of the things that a lot of autistic children can have is a specialist interest. Mm. And for those who so, well, okay, let's find you a career where you can use that. Mm. how many of us as adults would love to be working in something we're really interested in mm. you know I'm lucky that I am <laughs> <laughs> so yeah. hope is is a tangible thing it's not something that's just um you know a, a, a woolly idea somewhere in the future it's mm. about you know let's build that hope in you that you're okay mm. as you are that you're mm. valued and accepted and you mm. have a way to be what you're meant to be mm. and that's not a quick fix you know, and it also takes a lot of work and a lot of undoing of very negative things around in society, mm. sometimes within schools as well. You know, the expectations mm. we have of children with any kind of additional need can be very low, mm. which, you know, I'm trying my best to undo. Mm. Um, but I think personally, because I counsel a lot of particular teenagers mm. really struggling with their place in the world and acceptance of themselves. So I try to build real tangible hope in for them um, and introduce them to the word because if mm. they're anxious all the time and they have a lot of anxiety then okay calm and hope are words that seem quite alien to them mm -hmm. so, and I love that I love working that through that with them um, and seeing them kind of grasp hold of this in a very you know small bit at a time mm. it comes um, mm. yeah <laughs> that's great it's 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 really lovely to hear, you know, just kind of aware, yeah, to hear that you're, you're um, dealing with young people so kind of uh, practically and actually that kind of, um, but also bringing them hope and and helping them to kind of be the best that they are. That you know, the person that they are is 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 great, and I, I love that. I love. I, I want to be able to. That's kind of what this podcast is about, really. Is is showcasing, you know, um, how we can support our young people to be themselves and to be and to be themselves in the best possible way. So, it's really. I'm really kind of excited about he about hearing this stuff. So, um, working in schools during the COVID uh, kind of era must be quite different quite difficult perhaps um just tell us about what you've had to change or how it's been quite different for you um as you've done that yeah well what a year it's been hasn't it yeah. um, and we are coming up for that year now so first lockdown it was really hard because nobody knew what they were doing and the kind mm. of 
everything fell away from us. So I lost about 90% of my work straight away. But our first concern was our children that we support. So we got in touch with all our schools and we offered um, to work with parents at home, phone them up, you know, send them stuff um, mm. and work with teachers to help with what they were doing. So we managed to get through that. And in the meantime, I also took all my training online. So I learned all these new skills. Mm. <laughs> I learned what Zoom was and, <laughs> and um, yeah, webinars and all these things. It's been yeah. great, actually. Um, so that's that's been an, a, a good learning curve. Um, because it meant that our training could get to a wider audience, which mm -hmm. for me, I do it because then the children that those people work with have a better outcome because mm -hmm. somebody understands them better. Mm -hmm. um, but with the, the third, well, we had, we went back into schools in September. It was mm -hmm. great to meet all our pupils again and see, help them with that transition because mm -hmm. of the big transition thing going on. Um, how do you get back into school? Um, and then there was all the bubbles to deal with and all that. But actually, we found a lot of autistic children liked that mm. because it felt secure and it wasn't an overwhelming of people. They were, mm. they were within the same people all the time. Mm. And I've heard a couple of schools saying they're going to keep that idea, which is really mm. nice. Mm. But lockdown three has been, again, another challenge. But I think we've all been better prepared this time. Mm. So already, you know, we're working full on with our schools straight away. We're either we are still going in because some of our children are classes vulnerable, so they mm. are in school, mm. and we're working to send packs of things home, mainly based on well-being, mm. because they've got enough of the academic stuff. We don't need yeah. to give them any more. <laughs> but we're building um, well-being packs, and for children who have education, health, and care plans, which are what they sort of used to be statements. Mm -hmm. um, to do with the SEND code of practice is that those objectives within that are still legally binding, even though they're at home. Mm. So we are trying to help schools put um, resources together for teachers and parents to keep that flow going as well. Mm. It's hard work, um, mm. but I'm still on it. Um, <laughs> yes, that's great. I, I think one of the fascinations for anybody working with young people in the last year, or indeed, in, in most um, kind of areas of life, it has been that complete change of practice. How do we do this now? <laughs> how do we do yeah. um, youth work or how do we work with young people when the young people aren't in the places that they used to be and can't get to the places, you know, where they where they have been before? And that's been a big shift for an awful lot of people. Um, One thing that I've really been trying to reassure parents with particularly is don't get bogged down in all that work that's been said. Mm. You've got to think about your child's mental well-being first and foremost. Mm. So, you know, teenagers who won't get out of bed, I'd say, you know, how are you going to make them? And then how are you going to make them get up and do some work? Mm. You've got to make sure that mentally they are feeling okay first. Mm. And a lot of the anxiety that comes with, you know, not just schoolwork at home, which is, you know, a very thing thing to get your head around, isn't it? Yeah, yeah going on in society mm. um, and I would say increase their sensory activity mm. and increase the things that they do enjoy and mm. I know that might be time on the xbox or whatever mm. but that's a processing thing for them that their well-being is important mm. but also have that conversation with the school mm. and let the school know that you know my, my my son my daughter is struggling with their mental well-being because of the lockdown can mm. we please work together to you know to get them through this mm, academic mm. things can be dealt with later mm, they can be mm. but their mental health is the most important thing so 
you know, some parents really, I mean, some young people respond to structure. Mm. And so I have a website where I put some sort of visual um, timetable stuff for parents. I mean, primary schools, um, aged children might prefer those kind of thing where you have a what we're doing in the morning, what we're doing in the afternoon, what we're doing in the evening. Mm. So there's a structure, a very loose one to the day. Mm. Um, and your older children just might need a list of like, well, these are the tasks that you've been sent from school today. Um, see if you can get at least one done to start with and we'll tick it off. But anything written down in a structure is more mm. visual. And helpful than them having to trawl through you know the school online mm. platform to find out what they will need to do mm. um, it's really hard because every child every child is so different yeah those with more severe um learning difficulties or um who have got so distressed because of the change are just going to need to be safe mm. forget school you know keep them safe and keep mm. them well um mm. and because the autistic spectrum is so wide there'll be all these different needs going on, mm. which, you know, which is why we do so much individual work, I suppose. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's really important, isn't it, to understand that people are all different and young people and children are, no, are, are just as different, you know. Um, and I think sometimes the systems that we have in place, I think, really kind of um, mean that that what we're looking at is a one-size-fits-all you know kind of education system because it kind of has to be that way in order to be in order to teach everybody and yet I have conversations all the time with um, teacher friends and Senko friends in particular kind of saying this is not okay that we just treat everybody the same because everybody's not the same and you know there needs to be more individualization that's the right word um of you know more kind of more differentiation more more ways of doing the same thing but in a in, in different ways um within our classrooms and the, and also now you know within our online platforms um trying to get uh try, yeah trying to get my 11 year old interested in some of his online lessons has been <laughs> work to say the very least there we go we're all struggling with it aren't we that's yeah. the thing um now the other thing that um really you've talked to me about before and i've had a little look at um particularly in relation perhaps to autistic children and young people is um the double empathy theory from professor damian milton so and this really intrigued me a lot, so hence why I went and had a, had another look. Can you talk a little bit more about that and how that kind of plays into your work and, and the work of, 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 I guess, people all over the place who are dealing with autistic children and young people? Yeah, it's an interesting one. And, and that kind of, for us, has solidified our sort of um, view of understanding the child and their viewpoint and their perspective mm. interesting the help the history of um of autism is fascinating if you want to read a good book there's, called, there's one called neurotribes by steve, steve Silver, silverman it's a really thick book but fascinating mm. but one thing we've kind of we've we've kind of gone on a journey with our understanding of autism and there's a lovely lady called Donna Williams who is autistic who wrote a book and said you know for right from the beginning we were looking at it from the outside and looking at behavior when mm. actually for the autistic person it's their, their experience and perception and experiences of the world around them that is their autism and mm. therefore um, you know when we put our viewpoint on what they should be doing we end up with all these 
you know therapies and all these sort of rules and you should be doing this you should be doing that and mm. it's all about the autistic person being wrong and having to fit into our world so we need mm. to teach them how to do that and mm. um, which comes from the medical model of disability mm. um and you know we we know at the social model disabilities therefore if we change our society then actually people are included because we make that accessible to them mm. So the double empathy theory has kind of come up within that sort of model of, you know, autistic people are people, you know, mm. they are valuable, mm. they, yeah. are, they just experience and think and process things in a way that you might find different. Mm. So the double empathy um, theory of Damien Milton is looking at social situations particularly, which traditionally is seen as a deficit in autistic mm. people. Mm. And they looked at the fact that when autistic people together socialised, they kind of got each other and socialised really well. Mm. And then they, there was another, this was done a study actually in, in Edinburgh, and they looked at neurotypical people, that's people who aren't autistic, mm. and they socialised really well together. But when they came together as a mixed group, then you get misunderstandings mm. and misinterpretations. Mm. So what Damien and you know I really believe as well is that we've got to understand the autistic person's way of socializing and us make some adjustments mm. so that we can have that common language and socializing together. Mm -hmm. so I'll give you an example of this it just mm. came up on Twitter in the last few days somebody asked me um, if I could provide a social story which is a way of explaining something to an autistic child about personal space mm. it was a very young child and and I asked lots of questions because you can't just sort of like the the, the sort of response could be right okay we need to teach them they need to keep two meters away from everybody mm -hmm. yeah, and so on but actually it's more important for us to understand the perspective of that child why are they getting close to people mm -hmm. is it a sensory issue are they feeling unsafe so being near people and safe are they trying to communicate and I actually suggested that the best thing to do first of all is to teach the other children in that bubble how to approach the autistic child in a safe way for them. Mm. That makes sense. Yeah, yeah. So if they make it more predictable the way they approach the autistic child, the autistic child will feel safer. Mm. And then you can teach the autistic child a little bit about, you know, what they mean when they come near you and so mm. on. So it's more complicated and it isn't just sorted mm. out with, you know, oh, you must keep this much away from people. Mm. It's really learning to what we call being a social detective mm. but it works both ways yes we've gone into great complicated stuff there but yeah i'm quite passionate and interested in it like you said you mm. are that wow this could really change the world couldn't yeah. it? yeah 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 and i think we've we've tended to get stuck on that medical model as you say about it being a deficit and you know this is not normal um and therefore we have to fix it or we have to um you know put things in place for these for these people you know for these um neuroatypical people which is and you know sometimes that's it can be very um divisive language can't it and very and feel very i would imagine kind of very um ostracizing for those who are autistic um either children young people or indeed adults um a lot of the time and i think um you know it's much it's a much better way to frame it to do that kind of the, the more social sort of side of it where we think well how can we 
what changes can we make to accommodate somebody else and 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 long have thought about behavior in the classroom um and how every child's behavior is a message every child behaving in a certain way it's a message and they're always trying to tell us something there's always something behind that behavior whether it's um whatever you know it could be a myriad of things so um and what we need perhaps is to be listening more to what the is behind it rather than addressing the behavior itself and getting kind of um getting into a loggerhead situation with that young person which mm-hmm. you know is is all too easy to do in a classroom I've been there <laughs> I know and there's so many of the young people I support will tell me about the things that go wrong in the classroom and I really appreciate them telling me that because mm. then and it's hard for a teacher because you've got 30 mm. children and mm. you've got to get on with your lesson you've been mm. given this curriculum to deliver and your job is on the line if you don't deliver that and get mm-hmm. results I mean that's the problem really with our our education system but then you are also a teacher of sense so if you've got a child who has you know um, any kind of identified needs and sometimes the problem is that they're not been identified yet yeah. Yeah. Um, but it is your responsibility as a teacher to listen and know what those adaptations and differentiation is for that child and I, there's times when I spent months and months building up the child's confidence to ask mm. for help in a class. Mm. And the child came, this particular child once came back to me and said, well, I asked for help and the teacher just told me off for not listening the first time. And I was wow. like, oh, no, you know, the, you don't believe. And the, the child was crushed. I was crushed. Mm-hmm. But for a teacher, it's often a throwaway sentence, isn't it? Because mm. I'm busy. I've got to get on with mm-hmm. the other things. Mm-hmm. Um, and But actually, there are... And I'm not excusing teachers, but I am understanding the difficulties mm. we have. But it is a responsibility as part of our job that we need to take on board. And it mm. does sometimes mean undoing all the things you would normally do. Mm. Mm. So yeah. school rules, for example, you know, one roof for all can't work yeah. because no. one of my teenagers also, to be able to walk around school when it was crowded, his sensory mm. issues were so enormous for him. He had to put his hood up on his on his coat Mm. and he could have three teachers tell him to take his hood down Mm. and end up with a detention by the time he'd walk from one place to another yeah without you know and high school's huge and there's loads of teachers but Mm. they need to know that child is important you Mm. know i mean it's law as well it's Mm. part of the equality act that Mm. those reasonable adjustments have to be made Mm. so it is frustrating Mm. but i also see so much good in teachers who really want to help absolutely and all they need is somebody to come alongside them and show them how Mm. you know Mm. to be their friend and that's kind of what we try to do we don't want to bring Mm. people down we want Mm. to pick them up Mm. that's brilliant lynn and really encouraging to hear so um, if anybody's listening to this and thinking, oh, I want Lynn in my school, <laughs> I want Reach Out ASC, please, <laughs> to come. Where can people find you and, the, and and your resources and things? OK, I will have to say I'm based in Lancashire um, mm. and therefore um, our travelling <laughs> is limited. <laughs> um, there are now... Um, three teachers we work together there's three of us and our limit is really Lancashire and so they can get in touch with us via our website which is reachasc.com however we also our training is there for everybody so we have various ways of doing that we have online training platform with Scudio TV and it's called our getting it right for me um, membership so we've kept the 
costs really, really low. So for individual, it's just £10 a month and they get a new course every month. Mm -hmm. um, for schools, they can have up to 100 staff for uh, £50 a month. Okay. You know, we've really, right. really tried mm -hmm. to make it accessible mm -hmm. and quite a lot of it is CPD accredited as well. Right. So I think, you know, you don't need us in person. Mm -hmm. or, uh, you know, it's always lovely to work with people in person. Mm -hmm. However, what we've tried to do is make the message and the resources, our mm. training is so practical based. Mm. We know what you need in the classroom and mm. we have tried our best to provide those resources for you. Mm. There's some free resources that parents can access as well. Lots of parents do mm -hmm. go on our training. Um, and actually that's great for us because it means schools and parents can work together. Yeah. So our website is the place to go, reachac.com. That's fantastic. Lynn, it's been really lovely to um, talk to you today. I really hope that those people listening have, have enjoyed it and got something from it. And uh, yeah, thank you ever so much for being a great guest. It's been lovely. Thank you. OK, so I really hope that you um, found that a really interesting conversation. I certainly did. I loved what Lynn had to say about translating hope Um Know, pointing out that diagnoses can use deficit language and feel very negative for um, the child and individual at the heart of it, um, and it can really that can really have an impact on their mental health because of low expectations and the negative language that they've heard around themselves over the years. So it's really great to hear Lynn talk about hope in terms of helping um, individuals to see that they have so much to offer um, to help those around them understand them um, really well and to to see that actually there's a huge amount of positives um, that comes with an autism diagnosis. Um, you know, it's a way of thinking the world that's very different to, to um, perhaps an awful lot of other people and that's it's not um, better or worse necessarily it just is different it's the way it is um, and of course a lot of autistic young people children um, have a particularly specialist subject that they know an awful lot about they love to learn about they love to kind of be involved in creating um, around that particular subject and actually that means that they have a great um, kind of uh, a great hope for the future in terms of being able to do that thing that they love to do um, work and who wouldn't love that that would be really great um, I loved also it was really interesting to hear what um, Lynn had to say about working through Covid um, putting all the training online making sure that she was keeping in contact with children and parents and then also making sure that schools were still able to keep their SEND code of practice commitments um, you can go to Lynn's website I will put the details in the show notes um, if you didn't quite catch it in the conversation um, and and you can download or look at the training that's there um, I would encourage you to do that if you're if you're a parent or grandparent or a um, I don't know maybe a church or a youth work organization who um, who have autistic young people or children in your um, groups it'd be really helpful um, of course um, you know the thing that really stands out is that every child is different um, every person is different this is really true to children different strengths and interests as well as different needs and it's really important that parents teachers and the child work together in figuring out what's best for them 
um, even in this current situation that we're in with restrictions in place all over the place. I am going to be focusing on parenting a bit more in the next couple of episodes. So do listen out for those um, which will come out in the next couple of weeks. Um, I'm writing the book. The book is written. Yay! And we'll be coming out the 1st of Feb as an e-book initially. It's called From Isolation to Community, Youth Work in the COVID Era. It'll be available on Amazon from Monday the 1st of February. So do uh, have a look for that. Um, get in touch if you've got any questions about that. It'd be really good to kind of uh, hear from people who've maybe read it um, in the next couple of weeks. That would be fab. Um, do go and have a look at my website. Um, I offer, I'm offering mentoring and training um, from the website. So um, that's www.jennyosborne.org. Get in touch on the email address jennytalks at gmail.com if you want to feedback about this particular episode or indeed any episode or let me know who would be really good to hear from um let's kind of hear that from you guys that would be really lovely and finally just i use the anchor fm app to record this podcast it's really easy to use and i would really recommend it for anybody who's um wanting to do the podcast and then apologies for the croak in my voice um but um i hope you've enjoyed uh, listening today do share this episode um, with those who you think might be interested um, and I hope that you're well and that you stay well.